0: We are looking at Titus, we'll have a little bit of shorter time uh, this morning, and that's okay, I prepared for that, I hope, and um, we're just going to jump right into the text, we're in Titus chapter 1, we've been here for a couple of Sundays, we'll be here probably for a couple more, this is part 3, we're looking at verses 5 through 9, these are the essential qualifications for elders. If you haven't been here, or you've missed a sermon, please, I encourage you to go back And listen, I've said some, I think, important things concerning some passages that we've already dealt with that I would want you to know um, about the leadership of the church. And as I've been saying each time, these essential qualifications for elders provide a picture really of Christian maturity, of Christian maturity and godliness, so they have application to the entire body of Christ or to every follower of Jesus who is pursuing Christ likeness or wanting to be uh, what God wants them to be. So the entire church this is a statement you've heard me maybe you've heard me say if you've been here each time the entire church every person as part of the church should aspire to be what the church's leaders must be as detailed here in this section along with also Timothy, we find the uh, central qualifications there as well. So let me read the text. I'll say just one or two statements concerning what I've already said with the particular qualifications, and then we'll jump into verse 7. Okay? Good? Yep. All right, here we go. Beginning in verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to who? Titus, exactly, is trusted companion in gospel ministry. This is why I left you in Crete, Crete's an island, Mediterranean, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So remember, Titus is to go back, and among the churches that are there, the fledgling churches that are there, they need godly leadership, and so the one of his primary assignments, or his primary assignment is to appoint leaders, elders, shepherds, pastors in these various congregations that they might care for those bodies and help protect those bodies against the false teachers that were looking to disrupt the gospel ministries there. So, after laying that out again here in the letter, what he had told him to do, he now begins to list off the things that, the must-haves of any man who would be an elder of one of the local congregations. So in verse 6, he says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Verse 7, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And there were certainly those in Crete that were contradicting it. So above reproach, that's the first qualification. Again, some of this now is just review. The man who would lead God's church must be above reproach. He must be, it's also translated, blameless. And that would include in every area of the man's life, the elder's life. And the qualifications really, and that really is the overarching qualification. And the qualifications that follow Uh, must all be true of the man then who is above reproach, basically. It's really expanding upon that idea. To be above reproach, he must be these things. And again, being above reproach does not mean the man is sinless, but it means, as one person defines it, that the man's reputation has not been marred uh, or spoiled or disfigured or tarnished or tainted or stained by moral or ethical disgrace. And Paul then begins, as he begins to lay out or expand upon this idea of being above reproach, he, and in, since it covers all the entire life of the elder, he begins first with the domestic life of the elder, the man's home life. The man's home life must be above reproach. And so, further defining that, he says, the man must be the husband of one wife. We talked about this, but I believe, and you can go back and listen, but I believe it would be better to. Understand that as the literal phrasing is, which is a one-woman man, meaning that he is living in honesty, faithfulness, and devotion to his spouse, to his wife. He is faithful to her. He is loyal to her. He is devoted to her and her alone. The man also, if he has children, his children must be, it says in the ESV believers. We talked a lot about this last week. I believe it would be better to translate that faithful. Faithful, it can be translated that way. And one translation of the Bible puts that verse this way. You must have faithful children, not accused of wildness or rebellion. In other words, they must be faithful in their behavior, submitting to their parents, and not being unruly. This is a demonstration of the man's ability to Lead his home, and that he is leading and caring for his home and administrating discipline and instruction and guidance as he should. So that was verse 6. And of course, we spent, you know, a couple of Sundays talking about all of that. So I'm not going to do that again this morning, but now we'll move to verse 7. So that's where we're picking up, verse 7. So looking back at your Bible, back at Titus in verse 7. Then Paul says this, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So why is it necessary that an elder of the church be above reproach? This is really what he's answering this question. Let me give you an explanation. I said he has to be above reproach. I begin to lay out what that would look like concerning his home life, but he comes back and says, he has to be above reproach. Why? Short answer, the short answer, because he is God's steward. That's the short answer. So let's analyze that in its, all of its fullness. Let's look at that statement further. We'll do that first by looking at the word overseer, right? So you see a different term here used to describe these men. And we've, or I've addressed this before when we were in First Peter but I want to address it again because here it is again. I actually looked at this passage in 1 Peter. But he says, for an overseer. So he's not talking about someone else. There's actually some folks who try to suggest that he's now changed the topic or the subject. He's no longer talking about elders. He's talking about another office of the church, overseers. No, he's not. He's talking about the same office. He's talking about the same group of men. This is another title for That group of men. And as you'll see, it's appropriate for him to use the title as he begins to discuss the issue of being a steward. So, one writer commenting on this, you know, we have two terms here describing the same group of men, elder and now overseer. They again apply to the same group of men, but elder stresses a couple of things. It stresses the dignity of the office, the maturity of the man, the wisdom of the man, when you think of elder, Overseer, that word, stresses the work of oversight of that, of that man, the oversight that that man will have over that local church of which he is an elder. Are you with me? Elder, overseer. That same group of men is also referred to or as a pastor or shepherd. Shepherd. They shepherd the flock of God, the body of Christ. Okay, So same person, same people. Commenting on overseer specifically, one author says the Greek word for overseer is a general term like our English words, supervisor, manager, or guardian, guardian. In ancient Greek society, the word was a well-known designation of office. In other words, they would refer to that person as the overseer in 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 the Greek. It was broadly used to describe any official who acted as a superintendent, manager, guardian, or controller. More commonly, the overseers were local officials or the officers of societies. Okay, so overseer, you have some ideas. Supervision, right? Oversight, and delegated authority. So that's overseer. Now let's look at the word. Steward, steward. Titus 1.7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. One person defines uh, the Greek word translated steward here as the administrator or trustee of someone else's household. Okay, so they might be referred to as the household manager. Also, the trustee of someone else's property or business. So their household their property, or their business, a steward. They are one who has authority and responsibility for something. Okay? Steward. Overseer. He's an overseer. He's God's steward. So, you see this word steward being used in other places in the Scripture. So, for instance, in, in a more official way, it's used to speak of a, an office within the city government, In Romans 16.23, there we read, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you, Erastus, the city, it actually is the same Greek word, steward, translated steward here in Titus, but there, coupled with the word city, it's referring specifically to that office in the government of the city, city treasurer. So a treasurer has authority and responsibility for something that is not his, right? It's someone else's. It's the property of someone else. But he has oversight. He is to care for it. Watch over it. Yes? Okay? But it's not his. It's someone else's, all right? 1 Peter 4.10, there we see the word being used in a different context, but there... The Apostle Peter writes to Christians, as each has received a gift, and we covered this when I went through Peter, use it to serve one another as good what stewards of God's varied grace. So, God has given you giftings, He has given you His grace so that you might serve the church, but it's His gift to you, it's His empowerment, it's His enabling of you it, uh, it's not yours, it didn't come from you, it came from him, and so you, as a good steward, are to use it for his purposes. Use it as he would have you to use it. Okay. Uh, it is, he is giving you responsibility in giving it to you to use it. So that kind of idea, you're to be a good steward. Uh, further, we might be asked, what is expected of a steward? So if I'm going to uh, give my property or my business or my household over to some degree to another individual, what might I expect of them? Okay, well, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this. This is how one should regard us, Paul and his ministry partners. They should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards, there's the word again, of the mysteries of God, of the mysteries of God. So he has given the mysteries of God to us to give to you, to unfold to you, to explain to you. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, faithful, right? That's what you would expect, right? You wouldn't put an unfaithful person in charge of your stuff, would you? It's interesting to try to help you understand what's tied up in that word steward. The NIV translates that same passage this way. It says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust, a trust, must prove faithful. They've been given a trust. One writer says, a steward acts on behalf of another's interest or possessions. He is accountable and responsible to another for what is entrusted to his care. Okay? You with me so far? So we know, who does the church belong to? God. Who do do the individual believers of Jesus Christ belong to? God. They are his, right? The church is his. Christ is the head. The elders are stewards of that body. Now Paul says something in First Timothy that we should also be aware of as we think about this statement that Paul makes in Titus. He says this to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon in 1 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 15, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So what does Paul call the Church of the Living God? What does he call it here? He calls it he identifies it as, he describes it as a household, specifically the household of God. You see how this is all kind of fitting together? A steward would be a house manager. He would care for that house. He would have delegated authority. He would watch over that house. He would uh, fulfill the desires of the master of that house, not his own, right? Care for the, he would care for the children there. He would care for the folks that lived in the house, the servants. He would oversee all of that. So now putting everything together, let me read you a couple of quotes one writer says, the church is God's household, and elders, overseers, pastors, they're all terms referring to the same office or person in the church that leads and cares for the church, those men are God's stewards in that household. The church belongs to God, but he has given human oversight to elders who, in his behalf, and using their particular giftedness, are responsible to spiritually feed, lead, train, counsel, discipline, and encourage church members. Encourage church members. Okay? Pay no attention to the flashing screens. Don't let that distract you. Stay with me. The next quote I'll read to you is this from Strzok, who wrote a book on eldership. This is the one I really want you just to listen to. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. Since the local church is called the household of God, an elder who manages it can be rightfully called a steward. Paul's point in using the household steward imagery is simple and profound. Since an elder is God's household steward, he must be morally and spiritually above reproach. In an ordinary household, the most trusty, that's a strange word he uses, but it means reliable, dependable, trustworthy, the most trusty servant was chosen as steward. And the same rule must be established in the household of God, right? So, you know, I mean, you're the master of a house. You're the owner of the house. It's your household. You're not going to be like, all right, who is the most unreliable, goofy, and most ridiculous servant I have? Him I will put in charge while I'm away. I mean, you know, that's ridiculous, obvious, right? No, in fact, and he's not, gonna, he's not even going to settle for middle of the road, right? Who is my best servant? In the sense that who's my most loyal, my most faithful, my most dependable? Beyond that, this steward has responsibilities to be an example to those in the household, right? To model the master, So I'm going to look for, in this picture, I'm going to look for then, if I'm in the household, I'm going to look for someone who is like me, who lives like me. I don't want them because I want my household to grow up like me. You see? That's what's going on. So an elder has the responsibility of oversight and supervision, and of not just any household, beloved, but of God's household. Right? Of God's household. That's why this stuff is no... This is not a joke. This is serious. This is real serious. This is God's household. It should be treated very seriously when we're talking about who should care for it in the local body. That's why the standards are here. This is his precious church. This is a church, as every church is, purchased with the blood of his beloved son. In fact, Paul, speaking to the elders in Ephesus, makes sure they remember that very thing when he says to them in 2028, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, the body, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, just so you don't ever forget it, which he obtained with his own blood. It doesn't get more serious than that. One writer adds to this discussion, God demands that those to whom his precious children are entrusted be morally and spiritually fit. He will not have unfit untrustworthy stewards caring for his children and the truth of the gospel. They need to be morally and spiritually fit. And as I said, not only to properly care for and lead, but also to be an example to and for, to model Christ for them, because that's what God would have for his household. He wants them to grow up into the fullness of Christ So, he needs those caring for them and leading them, modeling Christ's likeness for them. And yet, unfortunately, history has proved that unfit and untrustworthy stewards have been allowed to oversee God's precious children. And maybe you've actually had real world experience with that very situation come from a church where the men were not qualified, this wasn't taken seriously. And beloved, as I told you before, a man can be qualified and then become unqualified. And then he should be removed from that position. You with me? That's part of your responsibility. If a man becomes unqualified, he should be removed. He should no longer be leading in that way in the church. But I thought it would be good for me for you and me, to apply the principle that we have here. Again, specifically, this is speaking to elders, yes? And specifically, the context is the household of God, the church, over which these men are to supervise, care for, oversee, guide, direct. But I want to just come back to this idea of being a steward for a second. So again, to the elders, they are God's stewards over the household of God, the church. Yes? You with me? But I don't want you to, you know, I want you to know about that because it's important. No matter where God will take you in life or if you remain here, that you know what is required of the elders of this church or any church for that matter, and you hold them to it. And you don't appoint any man who does not meet the qualifications, okay, going forward. It's very important for the success of this body, for the health of this body, and more importantly, for the glory of God. And wherever you may end up in life, in whatever church, that you know what the scriptures say concerning this matter. So that's important. But I want to make some personal application to you. Steward. Well, as I said, steward is the administrator or trustee of someone else's household or property or business. Yeah? Yeah? All right? Just on a basic level, that's what a steward is. The church belongs to God. It is the household of God. Yes? You with me? You know I'm setting you up, so just go with it. And it's all in love. It's all in love. And that's all true. And we're good. That's for the elders, okay? But Psalm 24.1, you know these passages. I'm going to read them quickly to you. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm fifty, verse ten: For every beast of the forest is mine. This is God speaking. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. God. Psalm eighty-nine, eleven: The heavens are yours the psalmist declares of God, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it. You have founded them. You kind of get where we're going here? Job 41.11. Who has first, God speaking to Job, who has first given to me that I should repay him? (laughs) Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Deuteronomy 10.14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. And one more, just for good measure. First Chronicles 29.16, this is concerning the wealth that was being brought forth to build the temple. O Lord, our God, by the people, the wealth that was being brought in, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from us. We are so awesome. It comes from your hand and is all your own. So it is said rightly that our money, our possessions, for that matter,
1: our children, let me go further, our very bodies, our spouses, do not belong to us, but rather.
0: Everything belongs to God. Everything. Yes or no? It has to be yes. It has to be yes. Most importantly of all those things I said, the people in our lives belong to God. They belong to God. They don't belong to us. So this impacts our relationships if we understand this
1: correctly, we are put into situations where we are effectively stewards of someone else's property, i.e.,
0: God's. You have children? They're not yours. I know we speak of them as being ours, and they are ours. To one degree, but ultimately, honestly, they, it would be better to be say they are on loan from God. They're on loan from God. He gives them to you for a while to care for. Money? You think it's yours? Well, if we're talking about it's not yours, it's mine, then yeah, I have to make those distinctions. I didn't mean you, sweetie. You know everything I have is yours. But just so you know, baby, it's all ultimately God's. Yeah? Okay, that's very important, though. So our money? Huh? Whose is
1: it? Ultimately. And if you have it, you are effectively to be a steward of it. Because it's his. Hmm? How about our bodies? So what's the rally cry of the abortion movement? What do they say? In justification
0: of their right to kill their baby, their unborn baby. It's my body. You have no right to say what I do with my body. Well, maybe I don't personally have a right to say what you do with your body, but... God certainly has a right to say what you do with your body. Oh, by the way, the baby in your womb is also His. You see what I'm saying? Now, that's an easy one for us, but I just want to... But it would also include everything else. So that means how you use your body. What you do with your body. Is it your body? It is in making a distinction between it's not your body, it's my body, but ultimately it's God's body. You are a steward of it. If I can say it again, it is on loan from God, given to you to use for his purposes,
1: according to his desires. Huh? So when someone says, you can't tell me who to
0: love, that's coming from the place of, this is my body, this is my life, who's the giver of life? Yeah, I can do what I want with my body and my life. I can love who I want. No, I mean, you shouldn't because it's not your body. It's not your life. This isn't even your world. I know you think it is. It's God's. You are simply to be a steward, and to be a steward, you should be a faithful steward, right? A good steward. And if you think about it, if you think about the next thing that follows in First Titus, right after he gets through saying that, then this all makes sense of, of why he says what he says. In order to be a faithful steward, a good steward, you can't be these things. He must not be, verse 7, arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent, or greedy for gain. And then he goes on to state the things he should be, hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. But just stop for a moment. We're going to look at arrogant quickly in a second, but just think of this. Just, I'm sticking on you. Keep your mind off the elders for just a second as I apply it to you, right? Oh, and I forgot to mention your spouse. I did say your spouse is not your own. It's not, you don't own them. You don't own them. Sometimes men act like they own their wives. They don't. You don't. You don't. That's, she's on loan, too, from God. She belongs to God, okay? And then he has entrusted her to you, men, to care for her, to love her, to guide her, to take care of her, yeah? But see, it's totally, it should totally change the things. If she's yours, then you can do what you want, right? But if she's God's, now that changes the whole thing. Wait a minute, I'm supposed to do what? God wants me to do with her. At least it should change the situation, change your attitude, change your perspective. But you think about this, if if you're arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, think about those, a violent, greedy for gain, you'd be a terrible household steward in any context or capacity. I'm not giving
1: you my money. If you're a drunkard
0: or greedy for gain, Right? Why would I entrust money to you? And yet, God does graciously, generously provide income to you. But you are to be a good steward. But if you're these things, there's no way you're going to be a good steward. Your care of what belongs to God will be, if you are arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent, and greedy for gain, will be poor and deficient or even non-existent. If your life is characterized by these things, think about the first one, a husband of one wife, a one-woman man. I talked about that idea of faithfulness. If you're an unfaithful person, you are going to be a terrible steward of your children, of your relationships that God gives you and grants to you. If you are lazy, which I said is a possibility for why you're not managing your household, which includes giving direction and instruction to your children, it could just be that you're just a lazy person. It could certainly mean that. You're not caring for them as you ought because it's hard work, right? And you don't want a lazy man leading in the church. But for that matter, you don't want a lazy steward, period, right a steward is given responsibility god calls them to do things with his stuff take care of it watch over it can't be a lazy steward and be a good steward can't be arrogant can't be quick temper can't be a drunkard can't be violent would you leave a violent person in charge of your children of course you wouldn't right you think God's pleased with violent people overseeing his possessions? One writer says, when any one of these vices controls a person's life, it disqualifies him from being a steward of God's household, for sure. Then he goes on to say, we would not want a person who is controlled by any one of these vices to manage our family or our possessions. And neither does God. And yet, beloved, that is too often the case. Christians are controlled sometimes by these vices, and they are managing, they are managing, quote, their families and possessions, but I just wanted to say they're really not their families and possessions. They are God's, ultimately. So as a Christian... That's why I said all of this stuff applies to you directly. You are a steward of sorts because everything you have is from God. And in order to care for those things, as God would have you to care for those things, you cannot be marked or characterized by these things, being arrogant or quick-tempered or being a drunkard or being violent or being greedy for gain. And if you are, then what do you think you should do? Huh? I mean, you can't check out of being a dad. You can't be like, well, I guess I'm disqualified. I won't be a dad anymore. It doesn't work like that. It's not exactly the same situation, right? When it comes to the elders of the church, we choose. But if you have children, you are by default a father or a mother. And you now have care for these children. So what should you do? You can't check out. You should repent. You should hear this word and repent if these things are characteristic of your life. Or for that matter, they come into your lives at all. You should repent. These are the things you're supposed to be avoiding. And there are things here on the positive side that you should be embracing that should characterize your life. Being hospitable, being a lover of good, being self-controlled, being upright and holy, and being disciplined. These vices, beloved, as we'll look at them, as we'll get more into them, they flow really from our corrupted hearts, a heart that is ultimately worshiping the wrong person, right? Worshiping us, worshiping me. So we say, I am king, everything is mine, and people are my servants. Maybe we don't say that out loud, but that's what's going on in this corrupted heart that causes this kind of behavior, this arrogance, this violence, this quick-temperedness. How dare you not do what I think you should do? And we mismanage the very relationships that God has granted to us and the people that he has put into our lives that ultimately belong to him, right? Rather than saying, I am king, everything is mine, and people are my servants, we should be saying, God is king, everything is his, and I am his servant. And as his servant, I am called to make his desires my desires, his wants my wants, his priorities my priorities. And when I do that, then... I will be a faithful and good steward of all that he has graciously allowed into my life to care for. So, something to think about. We will, we're out of time. So the first one in the list is he must not be arrogant right? That's the first thing he says after that. He says, he talks about him being a good steward or God's, he's a steward of God's household or God's steward, an overseer. This is why he must be above reproach. The first thing he says is he must not be arrogant. And I'll come back to it, but the idea there is that he's self-willed, he's overbearing, He's arrogantly domineering. He looks after his own interest. He arrogantly disregards the interest of others in order to please himself. And while that cannot be true of the man who's to care for God's church as a steward of his household, do you think it can be true of you and be okay? Huh? Huh? Like, oh yeah, that's the elder. That's right. You can't be arrogant. You got to care more about God and what he wants than you care about your sinful self. Well, that's true, but would that not be true of you? That's why I keep saying what is absolutely essential and required of the leaders of the church is something that all in the church should be aspiring towards, right? And if you think about it, what is the steward to do? What is his primary task? to fulfill the desires of his master, because he recognizes it's not his. Nothing, he owns nothing. He has been put in charge of and given oversight of someone else's property. Someone else's household, yeah? So if this guy is gonna do his own thing, then That is not the guy you want in charge. You want him doing exactly what the master wants him to do. That's what the master would have him do. Hey, dude, you're in charge. Do whatever you want, you know? Do your own thing. It's all good. Yeah, I know it's mine, but you manage it however you feel like you want to. Wherever the wind blows, do what you want with my stuff. Who would say that?
1: Not God. Not God. God does not
0: say that. You'd have to be crazy. And so just remember, beloved, as you're thinking through this text and, and thinking rightly about how it applies to elders and it directly applies to them, don't forget for a second it applies to you as well. It applies to you as well. You are a steward in many ways,
1: of God's stuff, of God's people. And if you
0: are arrogantly choosing to do what you want with his stuff, including your bodies, you are out of line. You are out of line. And as a Christian, that should
1: burden your heart and bring you to
0: repentance. Okay? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, just pray that your word would do its work father we uh i just confess father you know just as I, years of being in ministry i've just found it to be true of my brothers and sisters in christ and even in my own life that we can so easily so easily get off course so easily begin to think wrongly unbiblically about reality about the world about even our relationships and about the stuff that we, that we have that is a gift of yours, Father. We start thinking we're in charge or we own this stuff or it's ours and we can do with it whatever we please.
1: That is sinful.
0: That is arrogance. Father, help us to see it all rightly. Help us to... Help us to start asking the question more and more Father, what would you have me to do with your stuff? What would please you? What would you have me to do with your money? What would you have me to do with your children? What would you have me to do with the relationships I have in my family? What would you have me to do with my body? How should I use it for your glory? Or how should I just use it? Let me just start there. How should I use it, God? And Father, you're so good, you don't leave us hanging. Like, uh, I don't know, I don't know. I'm just waiting for a word. You have given us your word on these matters. They are found in the scriptures. So Father, help us not to play dumb, but to seek out those answers ask the questions and seek out those answers you have made it plain what we are to do and how we are to care for your stuff
1: work in our hearts where we need work father
0: help us live our entire lives before you and in recognition of the fact that we are not king but you are it is not our stuff it is yours and we
1: are but your servants
0: and should do your will concerning all things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.